Talo Falawa, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Oahu Okoroe Hawkins. Coming up first. This is a nightmare for landowners who are trying to hold companies accountable for environmental and human rights issues. The Papua New Guinea government is being urged to honour its commitment to end the country's round log exports. Also, it's very important to include indigenous knowledge. There's a very big push for that. Pacific youth representatives from 15 different countries gathered in New Zealand over the weekend to discuss potential solutions to the climate crisis and later on... It's never happened before and it started happening now just in 2017 after one year of the closures. Researchers from the University of Hawaii say they now have the data to prove that marine reserves are an essential part of the toolkit for protecting tuna stocks. Before we get into all that, two important stories we're following here at RNZ Pacific. An official date for the Fiji elections has been announced. It's to be held on the 14th of December. The chief body responsible for the registration of voters and the conduct of free and fair elections in Fiji says it's ready for the 2022 general elections. The Fijian Electoral Commission's chairperson, Mukesh Nand, says the elections office has concluded all its election preparation activities. Mr Nand says voter registration was to cease once the president of Fiji issued the election writs today. Meanwhile, postal voting is now open for Fijian voters living overseas and anyone else who will not be able to vote on polling day. These include essential workers and those employed in the tourism industry. Elections supervisor Mohamed Sanim has confirmed applications for postal votes will close at 5pm on the 23rd of November. Over 11,200 people registered for postal votes during the 2018 Fijian elections. Almost 690,000 Fijians over the age of 18 have registered to vote in the 2022 general elections. And the Kiribati government has appointed its Attorney General, Tesiro Semilota, as Acting Chief Justice. It's the latest chapter in a saga which began in 2020 with the government taking issue with and eventually suspending High Court Judge David Lamborn, the Australian husband of Kiribati opposition leader Tessie Lamborn. Over the next two years, the courts ruled unconstitutional attempts by the government to further persecute Mr Lamborn, eventually resulting in the retaliatory sacking of Chief Justice William Hastings and all Court of Appeal judges. This meant that prior to Tesiro Semilota's appointment on Friday, the country had no judges above the magistrate's level. Tesiro Semilota is the first Ikerabas and first woman acting chief justice for the country. The Papua New Guinea government is being urged to honour its commitment to stop the country's round log exports. PNG's vast tropical rainforests play a crucial role in storing carbon and regulating the world's climate, and yet the country has in recent years become the world's biggest exporter of round logs. Environmental agencies act now, and Jubilee Australia say new logging contracts are being issued despite government assurances more than 10 years ago it would end round log exports and foster downstream processing. The groups have published new research trying to untangle the many, mostly interconnected Malaysian companies involved in the exports. ActNow's Eddie Tanago told Don Wiseman it's very murky and unclear who controls what in PNG's forestry sector. 
And it's a nightmare for landowners who are trying to hold companies accountable for environmental and human rights issues, but they cannot know who the owners are because the structures are so complicated that you cannot even pin down who actually owns companies. So partly that was one of the main reasons why we had to do this research together with Jubilee Australia. What it's thrown up is that despite commitments by the government to put an end to round log exports, that are still going very, very quickly out of the country, these round logs. And in fact, PNG is the world's biggest exporter of round logs. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you just look at, uh, as revealed by this report, you just look at within the last three years, 2019 to 2021, it's about 70% of round log exports that are coming out from about 10 Malaysian-owned groups or clusters of or companies that are linked to, to Malaysia or have parent companies that are based out of, of Malaysia. It totals up to about 9.5 million cubic meters of round logs. And you, you said it right, exactly, that, you know, this is despite the fact that we had the prime minister coming out and making promises to end round log exports and going to downstream processing. And it's, it's not even diminishing or it's not even going down. We have seen round log exports, operations that continue and license issued despite these promises by the government. Now, as you say, the landowners struggle to find out just who they're dealing with, and there are always disputes. Are there still significant amounts of forest that are being milled that is happening illegally? Well, according to this research plus previous researches that we've done, we've realized that, for example, we have some licenses that have been issued, which are colonial licenses, and would have ended, or the least those, those terms of the license would have ended a long time. Unfortunately, they have been renewed. We have the timber rights species, as they called it used to be uh, in the 1960s, up until about 30 years ago, when the new forestry came into place. These TRPs would have, been, would have ended a long time ago. But what we've seen is there are extensions done to these colonial licenses and log exports are happening, coming out in numbers from these areas. So legally, these are not right. All right. So Act Now and Jubilee Australia, what do you want to see happen? Well, in terms of logging, we want that the government put immediate end or ban round log exports. And the promise of going into downstream processing is not now. It was supposed to have ended in 2010, as was or is documented in the recent 2050. And since 2010, 10, it's, I don't know how many years from now. It's, it's taken too long. That is one thing we really want to see happen and, and downstream processing happen within the country. We also have the promise by the Internal Revenue Commission to audit login companies' accounts. That report is yet to be released. So that's something also that agency also needs to look at into. Does Internal Revenue, does it have the resources to undertake something like that? Well, I hope so. It's been working so well under the current commissioner. They've been able to recoup large sums of money with through taxes that have never been seen before. I'm sure it can. It's just a matter of probably ensuring, you know, time, resources, limited resources put to use. They have recently issued a statement on the mining companies who are evading tax and have not been paying tax. And the promise on auditing logging companies as being something that was made or a statement that was made that they were looking into and they're not yet come out with a report on the auditing on those logging companies. 
In the lead-up to COP27, 50 Pacific youth representatives from 15 different countries gathered in Auckland, New Zealand over the weekend to discuss potential solutions to the climate crisis. The Young Pacific Leaders Tech Camp was hosted by the U.S. Department of State in New Zealand. The Tech Camp program is part of America's ongoing commitments to strengthen ties with the Pacific by providing participants technical skills to address global issues such as the climate crisis. Susana Suzuki attended the opening day of the camp and found this story. Specially selected youth leaders from all over the Pacific came together for Tech Camp, a US-funded initiative dedicated to identifying solutions to combat the effects of the climate crisis. During the Trump administration, many climate regulations had been scrapped, ultimately withdrawing the US from the Paris Climate Agreement in 2020. Mr Al-Qaeda says under the current administration, there's been a shift towards taking indigenous peoples more seriously. It's very important to include indigenous knowledge, um, and I think that there's a, there's a very big um, push for that in the communities, and I think that the federal government is really starting to see that. However, another participant says indigenous knowledge is largely ignored as it's not accepted as science. Inangaro Vakaafi, the sole representative for Niwe at Tech Camp, says Pacific communities have long relied on their own methods to adapt to natural events such as cyclones, proving that indigenous knowledge can contribute to climate change responses. So I feel that a lot of the problems today is because some of these societies are not learning from their past or they don't, they're not acknowledging the importance of the indigenous communities who've lived in those lands for thousands of years. In this whole climate crisis, this whole search for climate justice, I think we need indigenous liberation. Amelia Thaudau from Fiji also believes indigenous knowledge is the key to solving climate-related issues, but feels a lot more work can be done to capture Pacific voices. We have so much to learn from our, from our ancestors, from the past experiences that they've had through this indigenous knowledge. And it's sort of, it's being documented, but not documented enough. And it's there, but it's not fully recognized as a science, you know. Uh, to be used or recognized as science, as you know, authentic data or data that can help in advancing uh, climate change adaptation and mitigation. New Zealand youth rep Joshua Peawafi says programs such as Tech Camp is an opportunity for participants to learn about the unique challenges each Pacific countries face and what the future could look like for the next generation of Pacific leaders. The Pacific region is the least contributing to climate disasters, climate effects, they're the less contributors, but they're the most at risk. Yeah, they're not producing as many emissions as other countries, but they're the most impacted by them. So it's kind of up to us now to kind of look at like what, we can, what can we do to change stuff, but then also how can we leave like a legacy for the younger people coming through. Researchers from the University of Hawaii say they now have the data to prove that marine reserves are an essential part of the toolkit for protecting tuna stocks. The discovery came by a study looking at the benefits of marine reserves for tuna numbers, which found their reserves have a spillover effect. The study focused on the Papahanao Mokuakea Marine Reserve, a 5 million square kilometre protected area off of Hawaii, established in 2016. A comparison of current fish stocks with data collected 12 years prior to the establishment of the marine reserve showed an increase not only within the marine protected area, but in two adjacent areas as well. A professor at the University of Hawaii involved in the research, John Linham, told RNZ Pacific reporter Yan Koho this method could be used as a tool in other Pacific countries. I think maybe the easiest way to kind of describe it is 
we basically set up like a vaccine trial in the ocean. And so I've been saying to people, and maybe this is a controversial thing to say, there's a lot of opinions about vaccines, but if you believe that the COVID-19 vaccines reduce the likelihood of getting seriously ill from COVID, then you kind of have to believe our results about the spillovers because we're just using the same method. Actually, I could argue that our method is stronger. And so, you know, when you test out a vaccine, you have a, a, a treatment group who get the real vaccine and then a control group who get, you know, a fake vaccine. They get salt water uh, uh, injected into them. And then you compare what happens to those two different groups over time. And if the group that got the real vaccine is hospitalized less, has less mortality from COVID, then you conclude that the vaccine has done something. And so we drew areas in the ocean that we're defining as our treated area and as our control area. And basically our treated area is a donut ring around the edges of the protected area. The idea being if there's gonna be spillover, it's most likely to spill over right outside the boundary of the protected area. And then we draw an outer donut ring outside of the inner one that's our control area or our far away uh, area. And we define those in a bunch of different ways, um, but every time we get basically the same results. And so what we do initially, and this is why I say this is better than a vaccine trial, is we study the abundance of fish in those two areas for 12 years prior to the establishment of the protected area. And sometimes there's slightly more fish in the outer donut, slightly more fish in the inner donut. But basically, over time, the abundance in the two areas is basically the same up until 2016, when the protected area was established. I see. Then in 2017, you start to see an increase in that inner donut. Then in 2018, the increase gets a lot bigger. By 2019, there's a large and statistically significant increase in the abundance of fish in that inner donut. And so that's the evidence that's leading us to conclude that there's a recovery inside of the protected area that's spilling over uh, to these near waters. Right. You're pretty sure this is not fish trying to migrate outside and trying to find new areas of feeding. This is definitely like a regroupment and spillover effect. Is that right? With the ocean, you can never be, you know, 100% uh, certain of something. So, you know, there's a very small chance that maybe in 2017, fish decided to just migrate to the sliver of the Pacific Ocean. Mm. And then they decided to do it again in 2018 in stronger yeah. numbers. And then again in 2019, even more, you know. So I think in our paper, you know, the way we do things, we acknowledge that there's maybe somewhere between a one in a thousand and a one in a million chance that maybe that just happened randomly. But what makes us really confident is we've never ever seen that happen before. We actually go back to the 1990s and you just don't see year after year after year an increase in fish abundance in this particular area of the Pacific Ocean. It's never happened before and it started happening now just in 2017 after one year of, 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 of the closure. So, yeah, look, I can't rule out a small chance that something else could be going on, but we are 
99.99% confident that this is a this is a real spillover effect. So and so what what is the the conclusion of all this? I think the conclusion here is this is a tool that can be used to protect tuna. And so alongside effective fisheries management outside of these protected areas, I think now we're showing that this can be part of the toolkit for sustainable tuna fisheries. And you know, a couple of protected areas have been put in in other places in the Pacific Ocean, and some of them have now been reopened. I don't know if you've been following the stuff in Kiribati with the Phoenix Islands protected area. Looks like maybe Palau is going to change the boundaries of their national marine sanctuary. But throughout the Pacific, countries have been establishing these large protected areas on the assumption that these spillovers were going to happen. And we're now confirming in uh, Hawaii, at least, that it is happening. So it does support the creation of these areas, but you know you've got to really take into account a lot of different factors when you're, you're thinking about creating new marine protected areas. The biology of the fish, the migration patterns, and, and then you know the human lives that could be impacted uh, by closing areas to, to fishing. But this certainly confirms some of the arguments in favor of creating these areas, and it also demonstrates the value of trying to collect detailed data before these protected areas go in and after they go they after they go in so you can try to measure whether spillovers are happening and and I, I you know I think it's a little unfortunate that the Phoenix Islands protected area has gotten reopened without any detailed studies on whether it was a starting spillover for skipjack tuna that's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. If you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Fafitai telelava, tofa soifuo.